0: The council is consulting on patching up a $300 million hole in this year's budget.
1: When councils are looking at the books, there's one thing that always gets eyed up first. Books.
0: Wayne Brown is considering a mixture of staff and services cuts and raised the idea of replacing paid librarians with volunteers and reducing library hours.
1: The majority of Auckland's local boards are proposing to reduce libraries' hours from seven to six days a week.
0: Cuts to public services like libraries and swimming pools could be on the cards for Christchurch as the council scrambles to avoid an 18% rates rise next year.
1: And when Christchurch Mayor Phil Major said last month that community libraries were just buildings with some books in them, Book lovers got pretty mad, including author Rachel King. She wrote an opinion piece saying, Inside a building is a book. But what's inside a book? Knowledge, power, curiosity, creativity, empathy, freedom. Understanding of those who have come before and those with lives different to our own. And with our youth literacy rates grinding down... 64%
2: of students met the minimum reading standard, but when it came to writing, only a little over a third of candidates met the standard.
1: Kids of all backgrounds need access to books, And libraries are more than just books anyway. They're community centres.
3: The Pukiariki Museum and Libraries Research Centre is the place to go for information on everything from family histories to iwi claims.
0: The healthy home kits are available at all community libraries and can be borrowed with a library card.
1: A lot of people that are misfortunate don't have access to computers, books, stuff at home. So a place where they can go, feel safe and get educated.
0: His comments aren't just insulting. They demonstrate a woeful, lack of understanding of just what libraries do. They provide everyone access to information using volunteers is simply a recipe for shorter hours and a rundown in services.
1: Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen and today on The Detail, what's at risk if the libraries of Aotearoa go under? David Riley is passionate about libraries. He was an English teacher by trade but he writes books too.
3: I target mostly Pasifika and Maori young people, and I've written a lot of biographies, sports biographies, a lot of them, but not only that.
1: It's written that you publish books for reluctant readers. Would that be correct?
3: Yeah, I don't like the word reluctant. I don't say that that word. I I think um, it's a common word that people use for people that don't um, like reading, but it just might be they haven't found something that they enjoy reading yet, you know, or they have a negative experience of reading through their lives. You know, maybe they've they failed reading tests at school and told your your level is below the national average, or that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't want to be good readers and they don't want to read, you know, so I'm not only writing for those young people, but also the, the young people who do want to read but don't know it yet. Or just haven't found books that they
1: really love, that they can see themselves in and yeah, that inspire them, that they enjoy. David's based in South Auckland, but he's speaking to me from Hawke's Bay. He's on the road with the literary festival Storylines. I'm with a group of um, three other authors on this
3: particular tour. And we're based in Havelock North and just visiting schools around this particular area for a week. We go to three schools a day, schools that might, might not necessarily get many author illustrator visits. And, you know, sometimes we go to really small rural schools. We just go to share with them. The amazingness of storytelling and written form and, and reading and encourage them. But, um, the thing that I love about it is that when I, I actually wanted to be an author from a really young age, right, around about age 10, and I went to, um, a school called Viscount School in Mangere, And I don't recall an author ever visiting our school, you know, or mm. ever meeting an author. So I never thought that I could be one in my mind an author wore a suit and was rich you know, and didn't come from where I come from. So, you know, it didn't seem like something I could do. So I never really um, pursued it, you know, as a career option until much later when I realised that an author is an everyday person like us, you know, like me and you, who just loves to share stories in a written form. And I would have known that if an
1: author had visited us. And for David, it's not just about making sure students get NCEA literacy for their future job prospects.
3: It's such a powerful thing to be able to transport yourself anywhere in the world, you know, in your imagination with just a book in your hand. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that nothing else can do that. You know, uh, we can watch something on TV, we can watch movies, and, but the pictures are provided for us, you know, but when we read a book, it's all in our mind. Israel Adesanya, I, I interviewed him um, for a book that I wrote about him, and he told me that when he was at intermediate school, he used to get bullied a lot. And the one place he went to in the school where he felt safe was the library, you know. And that's amazing that that's that's the place he he would go. And he would read Calvin and Hobbes comic books. And in this um, comic book, Calvin was a character who was bullied. And when he was bullied, he would create these scenarios in his mind where he's a jet fighter pilot, or he's hunting dinosaurs, or you know he's a he's a great um, achiever. And when Israel read those, that really inspired him to to realize how powerful your imagination can be that you can visualize a great future for yourself no matter what your present circumstances may look like reading can help your imagination fire you know and to dream big and to visualize yourself not here not doing this and that was so powerful for israel that if you ever get a chance have a look at his bicep he's got tattooed on his bicep calvin and Hobbes. wow
1: that's a reminder for him of the power of the imagination. So the talk all over the news is about cutting library funding or closing libraries. Yeah. Um, this is happening, this is being talked about everywhere from Christchurch, Wellington, Auckland, uh, even small places like uh, South Upper all around. What's at risk if they get underfunded? Oh, man,
3: that is, that's a tragedy. You know, if that happens, like, books are very expensive. If you go into most bookstores, you'll see quite standard type of person who can go in there and afford to buy a book. And it's probably not going to be a young brown person. And it's also not going to be probably someone from any culture, from a low socioeconomic background. Where are they going to get books from? You know, it's the library that provides books for free for us. You know, if you take away that, our population is going to become dumb. Mm. <laughs> you know, we're going to become dumb. We're, it's a, it'll be a tragedy, you know. This is the one place where people who can't afford to buy books can still experience the joy of reading.
2: Within the whole country, one in every three are active public library users, so that's it's pretty high. Richard Messile is the
1: president of Lianza, the Library and Information Association, and he's also a connected communities coach for the otara Toy area with Auckland Council. Before this role, he worked in libraries for over 13 years. He sat down with our producer, Alexia Russell.
0: Just about everyone, all the big cities are looking at ways to cut money. Mm. Just about all of them have settled on some form of cuts to libraries. Why are libraries such an easy target?
2: Yeah, we were, we spoke about this with our team and, you know, we were looking at the UK model and why they had shut down so many libraries. You know, we looked at the the three R's and they said that the purpose of council should be roads, rates, and uh, I forget the last R, but... Is it reading? No, no. it would not have been reading. It, it would have been those, <laughs> what they, they termed the the essentials, the, the immediates, yeah. to deal with the immediates. And I think, um, well, Wayne Brown's alluded to that as well. Um, you know, if there's issues with roading and Rodney, what you know, you deal with that rather than the, the library. So yeah, I think libraries is perceived as this nice-to-have so if you get to the nitty-gritty and you want to slash things then you get rid of the nice-to-haves and that's where libraries sit.
0: Is it really though? I mean, you, yes, you do have this trio, roads, rubbish and...
2: That's it, rubbish. <laughs> that's the one.
0: <laughs> but who else is going to do it if councils don't do it?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that, yeah, that, I guess that's a thing that libraries uh, I'm not sure if I can say use the word struggle but they don't express their value enough and that's probably why they're seen as the nice to haves but if they're not there and I've asked this question when when I um, was managing a library in in Otara, Kutupu Youth Library, New Zealand's only youth library and I used to ask myself the question if if Tupu wasn't in the space because there's no other council services around where would the kids go? And I would ask that of all libraries, actually, if, if there's no library sites, no library spaces, like all those services that they deliver on behalf of local government and central government where do they go? Where do people, where the community go? Where do people go? I, I, I wouldn't know.
0: Tell me a bit about those services they deliver. You talk about them not being very good at blowing their own trumpets, essentially. What do libraries do that perhaps someone who hasn't been in one for a while might not realise? Yeah,
2: yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So obviously people know the base, which is always books, you know, and, and but books are always, uh, they're still super important. Obviously our literacy and numeracy determine the the well-being of a country, and, and New Zealand's pretty pretty good there, um, although it can do far better. So that, for me, that's always been the base provision of books, especially to communities that, that won't have readily access to uh, literature as such. Uh, but then there's also all the other stuff outside where, say, for we just had the elections. You know, libraries were some of the spaces where you could go voting. You could go do your, your advanced voting. Same Same deal with the local elections last year. One of the libraries I look after sits next to WINS, used to sit next to the Department of Internal Affairs and uh, Inland Revenue. The Department of Internal Affairs went, and so people came to the library saying, oh, we were told to come here to print out a certain form that we need. a." Or um, WINS have sent me over and said, oh, I need an email address to be able to set up an account, but I don't know how to set up an email. And so it's our libraries that step in to, to kind of cover those services. Then there's all the... Um, yeah, everything's surrounded around with the community, uh, homework clubs, uh, you know, when you work together with the local schools, author talks, book promotions. There's a whole range that, that the, the for me, I've asked the question, if the library wasn't here, where would this, this service go? You
0: know, in terms of digital, there's a lot of people who don't understand how to use the yeah. internet or don't have access to the internet or have very limited access to
2: yeah, the yeah, internet. Yeah, that's right. With my previous example around the central government department, and not just them, but any organisation that, that says, "Oh, you need a an email address to to register with us," and, and often we find that those who are who don't who aren't literate in who are strong in their digital literacy, they would come to the library and say, oh, "They've asked me to set up an email account, and I've, they've just got no clue. They got no clue. I set up a Gmail or a Hotmail or and so forth." So. There's that, there's that service being provided, but then there's also a whole bunch of communities, a whole bunch of families and people who don't even have a laptop at home, you know? And so libraries provide that free access to a public PC and for Auckland itself, the Auckland Library system, that's shot up. It's, it's, it had gone down. There was a decline uh, before COVID, but now it's just extremely high. Um, and I don't use that extremely lightly. It, it, it's um, something that's happening at the moment.
0: So those computers based physically based in the library are in huge demand?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And printing services um, and, of course, everything on the um, on the internet. So one of the strongest services we have to provide, which isn't necessarily our, our library service, but it, it, it's all job seeker support. You know, how, how do I write a CV? How do I apply for this? And I remember even just last week I was helping a gentleman. He came in with a USB Plugged it in and he said, oh, I need to add one more um, job to my job experience column. And I opened it and I said, oh, this is a PDF. You can't manipulate a PDF. But, he, you know, his English was his second language. And he said, oh, oh but I don't know how to add it. And so went through with him, did the snipping tool, copy pasted everything back onto Word and said, just type it there. And so I would imagine there's so many people like that. And I don't know where he would have went to get the help if the library didn't exist. So.
0: Talk to me about your area in South Auckland. Mm. How many kids, especially kids doing NCEA, use library services just to get the basics of what a lot of wealthier kids have at home?
2: Yeah, really strong proportion. Um, a couple of years ago, the Ministry of Education had uh, chucked in some funding so they can run, and I, and I forget the name, but the, the, the aim of the project was to try and lift up uh, NCEA rates, for Pacifica students, Maori and Pacifica students. And so we worked with them and we ran this massive, huge, uh, there were about, probably about 100, 150 local kids in that Ōtara area and they were, And we, we also partnered with the church next door. So they would come, we'd give them some food at, at the church because they obviously had the bigger hall. Then they moved over next door to the library and that's where we had a few tutors come in and we would just say, okay, for the next hour, you're dedicating your time to whatever subject that you need help with and so if you need help with science go over to joe over there if you need help with um your maths go over to angela whatever and so for an hour that's where the the kids would go and um the intake was huge and the success of it was was high it was was, was a really good rate so there's definitely a lot of kids out there a lot of youth a lot of students uh, who require the services of a library to um, really help with their studies.
1: Richard's been involved with running a ruler over library budgets after all Auckland council departments were told to cut down their spending.
0: So you know Wayne Brown was saying does Auckland Central Library need to be open on a Sunday? And I mean I think there'd be a lot of disappointed people yeah. if that wasn't a seven day a week business. Especially, you know, school kids who need that higher like yeah. you know all the stuff the Auckland Central Library keeps all the newspapers from way yeah, back and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, I know you you know, Saturday and Sunday's the only time they can go yeah. there, right?
2: That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and central libraries don't beasts. Like that's you, you think of that, yeah. I, I would never imagine that decreasing hours and decreasing days just because of the 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 amount of resource in that space.
0: I know there was a bit of a Facebook outrage in my area when the Birkenhead Library (laughs) closed on a Tuesday. There just weren't enough staff to, you know, because now if you have a sniffle, you've got to stay home and all that kind of thing. Um, Is that sort of thing happening more often?
2: Yeah, yeah, unfortunately it has been. And that's why this work that we're doing at the moment um, is trying to address that because pre-COVID closure has never happened. Post-COVID it's occurring a a little bit more than it, it normally has.
0: One of the interesting things I saw from the Christchurch situation was that, you know, it doesn't really matter if you close a few of them, you could just catch a bus to the next one. Yeah, yeah. What's your reaction to that?
2: Oh, uh, I, I don't agree. I completely don't agree. Um, I think of libraries where the community will struggle with access to transport, um, even public transport, you know, the, the cost of that as well. You know, whereas once you could walk 10 minutes down the road, Free, get a nice walk in, brisk, get to the library. If you decide to remove that and tell people just hop on a bus and go to the library in the next vicinity, for me it shows the mind of someone who hasn't really kind of seen it on on the ground. I mean, I can understand what what he's trying to do, cutting costs and so forth, but at a community level, that's just not going to work.
0: Why are libraries such a hard sell to local body politicians?
2: Because they don't know the value of it. I would expect for people who say the things that uh, some of our leaders have been saying to be people who haven't been in the library for a long time. And I think they've got this misconception, and, and understandably, because I, uh, I did some studies with a lot of Pacific students around their idea of the library, and it's always that uh, Pākehā woman with the white bun and glasses who would ground me for making noise. And so that image has stuck, and it's so hard to pull that and, and shake it and say, no, no, the library's something different. And I'm wondering whether that image is stuck in the minds of of the of our leaders when they need to actually come and check out what's happening and see that it's far more vibrant, far more um, energetic, uh, and there's a lot more that they're providing that wasn't provided previously.
0: I mean, can you think of any argument other than money for not having a public library in a city? Wouldn't that be a city without culture?
2: Yeah, yeah. If you, I mean, there's there's a lot of research out there that, that says if you value culture, if you value arts, heritage, and so forth, then you put the value on the library. And how a city looks at its public library, even, even institu- educational institutions, how they value their academic libraries, school libraries, and so forth, will show you how much that institution or that city or whatever values arts, culture, heritage, literacy, and so forth, so... Yeah, I, I, I honestly couldn't imagine, and I, I could be extremely biased here, but I, I couldn't imagine any place without a public library.
0: So if you were pushed and, you know, the powers that be said to you, you must cut something out of your library budget, where would that cut go to do the least harm?
2: Um, good question. And I I'm, mean,
0: wouldn't you just say to them, okay, well, we're not going to deal with things that – don't out our core business. So well, no more people coming out off the street and asking us how to do their CVs. Yep,
2: yep. And that's and that's some of the pushback that I, I know has been looked at previously. You know, if if you're gonna cut uh, some of our funding, then okay, we will have to decrease hours or we'll have to get rid of the stay or um, some of the services that had been provided earlier where we're not going to be able to provide and so forth. So I know at the moment for Auckland there's a struggle with you know, research services was one thing that they had to really look at and say, well, if you're not going to be paying, then the research services we're going to offer to the city will have to decrease because we just can't man it with the money that you're giving us. Mm.
0: What about the possibility of reaching out to other government departments to fund some of those things, like the Ministry of Education? Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. Like there's, you know, I think of yeah, the, the Ministry of Education, um, I know recently I was at a conference for the New Zealand Law Librarians Association and um, Justice Goddard had been talking about how the technology and the justice system was very outdated and they actually needed, in his view, the public library system now comes in because we want to give people access to the information that's in our database and so forth. We're better than the the public library. so. You know, if if I had the chance to speak to to Justice Goddard at uh, at another time, I would say you yeah, would be super keen. But then there might need to be some help with funding uh, to to give that service and so forth. So yeah, definitely Ministry of Ed. I think of MSD when they, you know, they send people over to the library. To, I don't, they're, they're minor things, but they're things that that's absolutely needed for people to to carry on with their with stuff and with MSD. When we did a submission to the our GNZ, the local government in New Zealand, when they were looking at the future of of local government, that was part of our recommendations: was some of our services be either fully funded or partly funded, you know, in partnership with the central government.
0: But let's face it: when times are tough, no one's putting their hand up to give you any money, are they?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so it is a it is a bit of a hard one, but I guess we'll put a line in the sand. And it was said, this, if you want what we're providing to be sustainable, this is actually where, where, what we need from you guys. Back to author David Riley. I know I keep coming back to reading in terms of
3: library. I know it's a lot more than that, but, but you know, it's also an artistic place. You know, it's a place where you find art in the form of literature and storytelling. Why is that the cut? You know, why why, why are arts the cut? People who don't see a value in artistic, things or or, or, you know they don't see it as valuable as collecting the rubbish or making sure the road you know doesn't have holes in it i mean those are all important of course but so is that part of us that's the that's the human part of us otherwise we're just like what i said before just dumb animals walking around you know on nice roads
1: that's it for today i'm tom kitchen The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel. Our producers are Alexia Russell, Bonnie Harrison and Mark Jennings. Thanks to David Riley and Richard Mizzillet. Ka
0: kite an.